2017 and you're listening to Bulls Radio USF 89.7 HD3 Tampa 16:20 a.m. on campus and streaming worldwide at bullsradio.org. It is three o'clock on a beautiful Friday afternoon, very hot but beautiful nonetheless, and that means you're listening to Anthro Alert. Uh, Anthro Alert, if you're new to our show, is about anthropology, <laughs> about Anthropology and why it matters. Uh, Each week we'll discuss how anthropology is relevant and over time we'll feature and have featured various guests from the Department of Anthropology here at USF to discuss their research and to have them weigh in on current events and everyday topics um, facing the Tampa Bay community. Or, or the U.S. in general, or the world. We try to span all, all of these depths. Uh, we believe that this is a good opportunity for us as anthropologists to better connect with the USF community and raise awareness of the value of an anthropological perspective. We'd like to preface our shows every week um, by saying that uh, the statements and the opinions that we express on AnthroAlert, whether... I or whether Renee or I or one of our guests, uh, it may not necessarily be representative of anthropology as a discipline, USF anthropology department, USF student government, and so on and so forth. So I am here. I am Spencer. Oh, and uh, sorry, <laughs> I was listening and then I was like, well, I guess it's my turn. My name is Renee. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, everybody, for that. <laughs> sorry for my extensive monologue there. That was I was mo- droning on for a while there. So. I'm really excited about today's episode with the onset of Tampa Bay Comic-Con this weekend. Uh, we are going to we thought this is a good opportunity to discuss how anthropologists would study the con, the con, the Comic-Con and all all the other cons and um, what could an anthropology anthropology and what could an anthropologist be interested in when discussing this? Renee, what do you think? I imagine quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's there's a plethora of anthropology going on. Uh, yes. In the in the con. Yeah. No. It's it is an anthropologist's dream for because you know anthropology being being a discipline of the people for mm-hmm. the people. Oh yeah. And a con, a convention, with the masses of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the the con. I guess this is how we're going to refer to it. The show. The, the con. Um, you know, there's a lot of different aspects to it and there's a lot of there's a lot of things to break down in what in what we're talking about so maybe we should start by trying to break down some of the terms that we're going to talk about what what's the first thing we should talk about well first maybe we should talk about who goes to the con uh yep that's a good way to start uh so who goes to the con so who goes to the con so the, the the con i guess can you know it can have a lot of different connotations or maybe stereotypes and so in the show today, we're going to talk about what we are going to refer and what actually other anthropologists have referred to as geek culture. And so we're going to tell you what we don't mean by geek culture. By geek culture, we're not using it in the way of 
maybe the stereotype that can be used derogatorily in that maybe it's someone that's socially awkward or maybe they're just good with computers. That's not how we're using geek culture. Geek culture to us, well, let me let me step back. So in anthropology, how do we view culture? So culture broadly is um, learned behavior patterns or shared values and beliefs. So in these terms, I think that geek culture is indeed its own its own culture. So you have people that are going to the cons with set interests, set values and beliefs maybe, and they're coming to celebrate maybe their favorite TV shows, their their favorite video games, their favorite board games, card games, books, comic books, mangas, you know, there's just a plethora of things. Um, Renee, what do you think? Well, it's not it's not just any TV show, right? I mean, we're not going to get a group of our friends together and we're going to go celebrate the the hit TV series Friends, right? <laughs> well, some people might. It's but got a huge following. Yeah, well, that's true. But but that's not the type of uh, TV shows we're talking about, right? So we're zeroing in on what kind of TV shows? Um, I'm going to just throw out some some names: uh, Star Trek, okay, Doctor Who, right. Uh, well, I mean, those two are good. I think so, to start with. Star Wars. So, oh, Star. Yeah, I'm yeah. the Star Wars. The That's big stars. Yep, yep. All the all the three all the three big ones. So here we're going to be zeroing in on specifically science fiction and fantasy cons. I know that there's a lot of different conventions for a lot of different things, but here we're going to be specifically Comic Con. You have Gen Con, which is a little different than Comic Con, but it, you know, along the same lines. Um, what are some other ones? Well, um, yeah, so there are things like Comic-Con, which is a comic book-focused convention, mm-hmm. or uh, Dragon-Con, which yep. I, I actually do not know what that is. I have heard of that one, though. I've heard of a bunch, but I can't recall any right now. I don't know why. Yeah, I think, you know, with, without actually having done the research to know what the first con was, um, I imagine mm-hmm. it might have been, you know, a group of Star, Star Trek folk trying to get together and celebrating... Uh, the adventures of Captain Kirk and pals. Yeah, that that seems like a reasonable estimation. Okay, so we were talking about geek culture and we're trying to define it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So we said that culture itself is a system of shared values and beliefs. Mm-hmm. So then, if geek, so what would geek culture be, and and how is that its own culture? Yeah, that's that's a good question. So, um, to answer that, I actually I think geek culture I- is indeed its own its own culture or subculture, um, taking into account that um, just like other cultures, you know, there's variability within, you know, these shared values and beliefs. But referencing a show that we had a few weeks ago where we talked about, we had a discussion about strength sports and that as its own, as its own culture, you know, what we talked about there was the importance of community because, you know, you could have this safe space to share thoughts or ideals or uh, share just time with like-minded individuals. And so I think that that, um, you know, that concept is perfectly applicable here, you know, the importance of community and the cons, because, you know, there's, there's people that go to these cons, like, you know, annually, and I think it's it's a point of real like excitement for these people. You know, you make friends there, and then maybe you see them only at the con. So you know, it's that community that you're going to, you know, every every year. 
Yeah. So have you ever been to one? I have. Uh, I've been to Gen Con quite a few times. What was the theme of that one? Uh, there's a different theme every every year, but oh, if you're talking about like the general theme, so Comic Con is basically comic book focused. Well, Gen Con is basically it's game focused. So oh. specifically, board games, card games, role playing games is what you're gonna get. Oh, and like miniatures games. So let me say, so like obviously Magic the Gathering, that's a big one. Um, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, and then you have like some um you have miniature games like war games um with little like miniature pieces miniature models and then you know you have the board games so you have everything from just like casual players that you know they'll play monopoly and do things to other people that are just really hardcore into like really you know like specific board games so you mentioned magic the gathering that's like a card game yep uh you said dungeons and dragons that's uh like a tabletop role-playing game yep mm-hmm. and then the third one you said was uh, uh i think you said Something about war? Like miniatures games. Okay. Like, yeah, people play on, like, uh, tables. It's, uh, I think it's like 8 by 16 or something is usually the dimensions that they play on. Okay, so so Gen Con, I'm sorry, Gen Con is a gaming-focused convention. Yep, absolutely. Um, and if you go, if you happen to visit a con of some sort, there's probably going to be some aspect of gaming. Mm, yeah, I think so. Because um, even at, I've never been to a Comic Con, but I believe there's even probably gaming going on there, right? Yeah, I have been to several mm-hmm. uh, in Arizona. I've been to several in Arizona, Amazing Arizona, and Phoenix Comic Con, um, possibly a couple of other much smaller ones. And there are gaming f- there there are gaming areas uh, or gaming sub subsets within those mm-hmm. larger events. Mm-hmm. Now let's see. Um, so thinking about geek culture, how how has it been portrayed in the media? Hmm. So for example, I mean the first one that comes to my mind that I that I think of like a popular portrayal of geek culture would be the popular TV series uh, Big Bang Theory. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Um, I think maybe that's one of the TV series that really brought brought it out to the forefront there might have been another one but yeah like you said that's the one that immediately comes to my mind and uh, i i don't know i think in that in that show it's i don't know if it's portrayed if it's portrayed as like a bad thing per se but it's definitely i think kind of cultivates the stereotype of like a geeky socially awkward individual that kind of goes to goes to these type of events what do you think yeah you know i wanted to ask you that very question if you thought that those portrayals um, in that specific tv series were positive or negative mm-hmm. um and i mean that's that's a that's a good question you know what like having them be socially awkward like they're almost oftentimes the the joke in many ways, so they're like the subject of the joke, and they're also the delivery. So it's mm-hmm. like, in a, in a way, a satirical view, but in a sense, it's also making fun. Yeah. Um, so that could be problematic. And then uh, later in our discussion, we'll get into talking about agency and narrative, and and you know who tells to who who gets to tell whose stories. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think this could possibly play into that. Um, now, now is geek culture is that just another marketing demographic? Is that n- just another section in the uh, department store? I think it could be now, um, or maybe it's moving in that direction uh, as as another marketing demographic. Because I mean, we'll talk about this later in the show. But when we were having uh, discussion earlier, 
you know, you can see aspects of, of geek culture in just, you know, regular, your regular Walmarts or Targets or stuff now. And an example of that that comes to my mind is those, those pop figurine dolls that, you know, are, are portraying um, aspects of, of geek culture. But now you can, you can find them everywhere, at like Barnes & Noble or, you know, uh, any other store. And so I think that's a way of, of marketing demographics. So maybe you're not within geek culture, but now you have these cute little pop-up dolls or, or things that uh, portray maybe your favorite characters. And, and so maybe that's a, that's a gateway in, in, into geek culture. Okay. Wow. Totally fascinating. Um, we're, so, okay. So one of the other questions that we wanted to, to talk about was actually the, the use of the word geek mm-hmm. and how maybe it has transitioned from a derogatory insulting term or an insult to mm-hmm. something of a, a term reclaimed for power. Right. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah. Um, I, th- I think it, it can be, uh, maybe a derogatory term or a term used to, um, to bully or, um, objectify a group of individuals but um no i think an aspect of of cons where you know we're talking about the importance of of community where you're in this community you're in this safe space so to say of like-minded individuals i think that is a way to sort of reclaim that word geek or that title and basically being like yeah you know i'm a geek so what um you know so are all these other thousands of people that are here um, you know, and I think it's even being shaped now to the point where it's almost cool to like geek culture or it's cool to be a geek or, or something, you know, what do you, what do you think? Man? Yeah, no, totally. So the convention itself almost becomes a safe space yeah, where, where people can safely express their love of these different franchises. Right. Um, okay. So let's kind of take a step out and see if we can better define the con or the convention okay so a con is is short right c-o-n it's a convention Mm -hmm. or a gathering of fans and enthusiasts around a creative pop culture genre or franchise so for example a comic-con is a is a con primarily for fans of comic books to get together and discuss their favorite titles interview their favorite creators and buy and sell comic book merchandise Mm -hmm. because um, although a fan may be totally interested in just going to like meet up with other fans, they might be more drawn to attending a con if they're going to be some manner of artist, writer, creator, celebrity. Yeah, and that's that's probably another aspect of the the merchandising and the marketing power of a, or, or the economic power of a con. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean that's definitely part of the marketing because you know the. The more famous the person that's attending is, I think maybe that can be correlated with how many people attend. Even though I think with Comic-Con, it has such a reputation already that it's almost guaranteed to already sell out no matter who's going to be there. So I, I assume you're talking about the uh, big one out west. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not, I mean, I know that there's regional ones, but where's the – isn't the original one in, like, San Francisco? I couldn't tell you where the original Comic-Con was. Or because, where – yeah, but, where's, like, the largest one? But the – the big one, um, the one that people, when people think of the Comic-Con, mm-hmm. they often think of uh, Comic-Con in San Diego. San Diego, okay. yeah. I knew it was, yeah, I knew it was somewhere in, in California. And I want to say that sometime each each summer, uh, very, very popular, uh, very expensive, I imagine. 
Um, so let's hit one more definition, and then we'll take a short break. Okay. So let's see. So we've talked about what a con is. We've yeah. tried to define geek and geek culture. Yep. So the other thing that we're going to be talking about today is cosplay. Yeah, that's a that's a giant aspect of, of gaming cons nowadays, uh, even at Gen Con. Uh, so cosplay is an act of creating and or wearing a costume to imitate a character. In a sense, it could be considered its own subculture within the larger uh, geek culture. Right. So I, you know, cosplay itself is short for costume play, um, if you didn't know that. And yeah, like Renee said, it's where someone, you know, you dress up in a way that represents a specific character from whoever or whatever show or game, movie, book, or any other popular culture that you may want to represent. So when we come back, we're going to be talking more about uh, cosplay and how the how it can be used to explore culture itself, uh, identity, individualism, gender, things like that. So cosplay, you can actually pack a lot of anthropology in there. Uh, so we're going to take a short music break after a word from our sponsors, and then we will get back into the discussion. All right, you're listening to Anthro Alert on USF Bulls Radio. Uh, my name is Renee, and see, so far today we've been discussing the uh, aspects of geek culture and comic cons and cosplay, and um, yeah, so that's our conversation so far. It's been pretty interesting. We have defined things. That's like the first step of anthropology, right? Defining what it is you're looking at. Yeah, there's always there's always quite a few things that we have to define or or break down a little bit before we can um, start talking any further. So we left the conversation defining cosplay or costume play and how how important that is in, in cons nowadays or how popular it is to do at cons nowadays. So now we're going to talk about how how does anthropology fit within cosplay? Yeah, and we could even look at various uh, anthropological theories, but but first maybe we should think about just uh, cosplay in general and how it's become more of a uh, of a visual spectacle in in media or mass media. So there's even been whole reality series of all these cosplay celebrities. Mm -hmm. um, or, or cosplay competitions, you know, that are Survivor esque or, right. or Big Brother esque, and and uh, those, I, I mean, I don't know how popular those were. I didn't see them because I, I mean, I don't have cable. Right. Uh, I, I, you get a chance to see any of those or any of those clips? I, I know what show you're talking about, but I, I haven't seen it. But I mean, I know that there's even, or I think there are. I think there's even like professional cosplayers now. You know, they have like models for everything else, but I'm pretty sure now they have like professional cosplayers so a professional being somebody who gets paid to dress up and attend these events right yeah or yeah i'm pretty sure like that's how it works i'm not positive because i'm not i mean i'm not huge in, into this into the cosplay scene i've actually i've never done it before i have friends that have so i've been exposed to it a little bit but um yeah i mean so i mean there you're even monetizing cosplay now yeah so okay if, if you're listening if you're one of our um one and a half people listening uh, and you are a cosplayer. You go ahead and call us eight one three nine seven four nine two eight five. We, you know, if we see the little phone blinking, we will uh, try to answer. Yeah, if you have anything to add, and you want to give us a call, yeah, go ahead. That's a, yeah, you can't just call it and be silent. You have to actually speak. Yeah. Uh, okay, so going back, um, so that's cosplay. Um, how 
okay, so if cosplay is an imitation mm-hmm. or a representation, right, form of role play, a, f- a form of role play, what what role does this play in um, larger culture? How how does it help us have discussions about human difference? I think w- uh, one of the large parts of cosplay is sort of the playing with identity, you know, because you can, you know, the whole part of role-playing is playing with identity in a sense, right? Because for a while you get to be someone else or you get to explore maybe someone that you admire or someone you want to be or maybe someone with values or characteristics that you would like to model or maybe it's not that deep and you just think that person's cool and you just want to dress up like them, which is fine too. But um, another aspect of of identity, you know, is, uh, is gender. When I was reading up on cosplay, there's um, a popular, not a popular, but a very common uh, way to do cosplay, which is, um, I think they termed it females dressing up as males. So basically, female cosplayers dressing up as their favorite male character, but gender switching it. So now, I'm assuming now those male characters, uh, they're giving them feminine-esque qualities or however else maybe you might define gender it's very i mean you know we could have a whole discussion on that on amber alert because it's very fluid and people have a lot of opinions about that but that was a very popular thing um but males dressing up as females was not and then you had a whole other aspect of this of basically um you know whatever your larger culture is meaning wherever you are in the world so whatever country you might be that also might influence and dictate how cosplay is carried out so for example here in the united states we could look at um a a woman dressing up as the male character thor Mm -hmm. yeah um and vice versa a a man dressing as the um female character uh, lara croft yeah yeah absolutely so that, that was basically the idea um and i i think from from what I was reading, I'm not I'm not entirely sure this was um, this is p- paraphrased, so I'm pretty sure what they're saying. So, as far as like what country you're in, I think in the U.S. maybe cosplay is split. I think it's f- split fairly fifty fifty between guys that do it and girls that do it. Would you agree? I I mean I don't know. <laughs> I mean I, I don't I've I don't have any data, so I have yeah. no idea. I've been to a, I've been to many I've been to the con many a time. Um, but I I couldn't tell you okay. honestly. There's just so many people that it's yeah. just hard to. I mean, I mean, it's hard to do it. But it's hard to I think in one of the countries that they were talking about when they were talking about female to male and like this gender switching is what they called it. But basically, like in Japan, um, what this article is saying was like that it's far more likely to see females doing cosplay than it would be for males. So I guess there's a female majority in doing, and that also might be that. Have you ever heard of like the Japanese cute culture? That actually might maybe have something to do with with this ability or like this desire to maybe cosplay. I don't know. I don't have enough data on this to support what I'm saying, but these are my opinions. Yeah. So what it sounds like, so what I'm hearing is that for all you social science researchers out there, there is stuff work to be done studying um, popular culture, uh, comic con culture, con culture, and cosplay in particular. I think, yeah, definitely. I think if you're like, if you're interested in, in cons and this type of thing, and especially if you're interested in maybe like 
gender and identity and how it works or how its attachments in popular culture i think there's a like there's definitely work out there that you can do with this i think it'd be i think it'd be really interesting um so we might have just given somebody a dissertation idea if you're our one and a half person listening that that was that tip was for you there you go. Uh, let's see. So one of the questions that I, w- I want to know and I want to hear what you think about okay. is to, to say um, the, the how, how does the act of cosplay yeah. reflect individual or cultural values and beliefs? So mm-hmm. how does the character that you choose to imitate or represent or um, emulate, how does the, what does that say about you? Like, if you're a, in general, a good person, yeah. like, what if you play, what if you cosplay as a villain? Mm-hmm. Or what if you're, you know, the everyday run-of-the-mill jerk, and you like to cosplay as a hero? Right. Or a jerky hero? I think there's maybe multiple ways to answer this, but my immediate, sort of what comes to mind right now is, you can either, so I think you can do one of two things. You can either cosplay someone that idealizes um things that you want to be or someone that you think you identify with so someone that sort of mirrors the characteristics and values you already have so in the case of being you know maybe you're genuinely a good person you know everyday kind of guy or girl and maybe you want to play a villain because you, you know you wouldn't do that in your life nor would you want to do that but you know at the con you can be a little you can be a little evil. <laughs> you know, you can play a villain for an hour or two. You know, you can kind of just, you know, goof around and, and tr- play around with those characters. So it can be someone that you wouldn't be in, in real life. And I think this is another part of, like, um, reading science fiction and fantasy or watching a movie or TV shows or comic books, whatever. You know, this media that we consume in part is escapism, right? I mean, you read science fiction and fantasy, or at least I do, because, you know, I want to maybe get out of the real world for an hour or two, you know, read a book and hop into a new world, and that's a form of escapism. So maybe cosplay is just an extension of this escapism. So maybe instead of reading about or watching about this world, you can you can explore it a little bit, which is, I mean, what role-playing games do. And so maybe cosplay is just kind of an extension of that. Or, you know, if you think you're a hero in real life, you know, and you're you're a champion maybe, then maybe you want to be a hero in cosplay and meet some, be someone that mirrors your ideals and beliefs. What do you, I mean, what do you think? Oh, totally. Yeah, I, I really agree with that. Um, the other thing to think about is, like, the type of costume. So many of the mm-hmm. costumes um, are are often fully fully clothed and masked yeah so so you don't know anything about the person behind the costume right so when you're at like the comic-con dance you know dancing late at night and you see you know dance invader up on stage you don't know anything about dance invader right just that <laughs> hey it's a person in a in a star star wars darth vader yeah uh costume mm-hmm. and they're having a good time and they're just dancing and waving their lightsaber around yeah they're just doing it, their thing and it's cool you know yeah uh, okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about the types of stories that that cosplay evokes okay. or uh, represents. So, sure. so looking at um, ideas around agency and narrative. So, what are these stories, and who who gets to tell them? You know, who are the writers and authors of the 
like the actual creative works, you know, who are the cosplayers? You know, what stories are they telling and who are are they is any cosplay or is any person allowed to to play any sort of character mm-hmm. or are there rules? Yeah. I guess it's like what do you like what kind of rules? So, for example, earlier I mentioned, you know, is it okay for a female to play a male character? Mm-hmm. Is it okay to cross those um lo- those demographic lines? Right. Um yeah, I think it's perfectly fine because I mean the whole sort of ideology behind science fiction and fantasy is to is to toy and and play with those types of things. I mean, sci-fi and fantasy books have been playing with that stuff for you know forever and uh you know it's just it's just part of that and it's a way to kind of explore those ideas not in the real world but in another world and kind of see see what happens um as far as the rules i mean i think so um yeah and as far as agency you know we talked about sort of uh reclaiming the word geek and I think the con gives people agency in order to do that. You know, it kind of empowers people to do that, to maybe either escape that label altogether or maybe just to, like, champion it. Like, yeah, I'm a geek. Who cares? Um, and then, you know, in cosplay, maybe I uh, dressing as someone that they admire, maybe forming a narrative that way. Yeah, there's there's really a lot. Uh, to this particular aspect of the con- of the confession of the conversation, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot to this part of the conversation right. that we could talk about. Absolutely, yeah. Because I mean, agency and narrative is is uh, I mean it's it's a it's a big topic to discuss. You know, there's a lot of things. Agency now is is a big topic in just anthropology in general. You know, talking about agency and uh, empowerment and hegemony and you know all those types of things and also narrative is uh is a big topic so i mean i think we could do a whole show just on these two topics if if we wanted to okay well i'm 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 writing it now so <laughs> for sure for sure we will um at some point possibly maybe someday address that mm-hmm. um because there really is a lot a lot to this yeah. uh th- th- so let's shift just just a little bit Right. And think about how cosplay, you know, we mentioned the term escapism. Right. But how does cosplay allow people to question reality and representation? Hmm. Actually, I want to hop back to agency narrative real fast and mention um, linguistics. So linguistic anthropology, we don't talk a lot about that on the show. But in the in the con, you know, there's so many human-generated uh, languages, you know, like Klingon. And there's the one from Game of Thrones. I Dothraki, I think it is. Um, what other? Do you know any other ones, Renee? Uh, so you mentioned Game of Thrones, Dothraki. I think I think that's what it's called. Yeah, okay. and then well, obviously you know Klingon. That's a big one. Yeah. Well, Game of Thrones. There are many. Uh, there are many languages. Right. In Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, so I can think of. A, so the first Comic Con I went to, one of the first, whatever. Um, it was recently after the movie Avatar. Oh, yeah. And there was a panel. Like Navi. There was a panel on the Navi, or the Avatar movie and the uh, Navi language. Uh Oh, Elvish. How could I be so foolish? Oh, from Lord uh, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, yeah. Dorvish. And that panel actually featured the anthropologist linguist. That's awesome. Who helped develop the Navi language. Man, I think that's so cool. 
Yeah, and so this this person, uh, this professor out of, I believe, the University of Southern California, mm -hmm. is often approached by various uh, production entities to help create languages for whatever works they're doing. Man, that would be some cool work to do. Ah, uh, totally. And and so these these languages who are solely made up for the purpose of, um, I don't know, just just added added realism to the to the film yeah or t or to the to the title right you know these actually take off you know fans who so passionately care about the the franchise and, and the title and the creativity right they build on the language and they further establish the language as an actual living um language and and oh, um yeah. so for, for sure. people who study languages this is perhaps both fascinating and depressing because mm -hmm. there are several other languages that have been around for you know, many, many dozens and hundreds and thousands of years that are maybe dying, and uh, right. Uh, but but let's not let's not drift down the rabbit hole of dying languages. Right, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's uh, you know, actually, in my linguistic anthropology class as an undergrad, we talked about um, man-made languages and, and Klingon, and a guy who tried to teach his child Klingon as his native language, and I don't think it went. I can't remember. I don't think it went that well, right? Because it's a man-made language, so there's no way to really ex expand on it necessarily. Plus, there's not like a population of people that speak it as a native language. So well, I don't think it well went that well. There's not. there's not. Yeah, not yet there's not. There's probably quite a few people that speak it. But I just think that was kind of interesting to try to teach your child a man-made language, you know, as their native language. I mean, yeah. I'm going I'm to challenge you and say, aren't all languages man-made? Or I mean, I use oh, the term man. Yeah, human made. Human made. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're right. So what? Maybe I mean, maybe in like a hundred years, Klingon will be like have a population of people that speak it. Well, I know here's a good example. I mean, Esperanto that was human made, but there's actually a fairly large population of people internationally that speak that. So it's I mean, it's a growing language. So yeah, who knows? Yeah. So when the Indiana Jones of the future comes back, and f and the only proof of written language they can find is Klingon. There, yeah. there we go. <laughs> yeah, there it is. <laughs> okay, so um, back to back to looking at questioning reality and representation. Right. Wh mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Questioning reality and representation. Yeah. So, um, so how does cosplay yeah. help help us as a society or as fans question mm -hmm. the reality that we live in mm -hmm. and question representation? How How does that look? So I think, so now we're drifting into looking at cosplay in the postmodernist frame of mind anthropologically. Yeah, f like from a theoretical perspective. From a theoretical perspective, okay. So, um, I mean, definitely I think cosplay helps in the questioning of reality and representation because, again, you know, you're playing with um, identity. So, you so know. So probably an example of this is looking at, um, you know, crossing those demographic lines. We're saying yeah. uh, this specific character can only be played by people who look this specific way. Right. Um, and so and so we want to say, well, I mean, you know, and maybe the approach then is that hey, that actually should not be the case. Any any person who's interested in, in imitating and representing that character, they should be able to without fear of uh, a criticism or or, right. or being criticized i mean you can just be like you know what even is reality don't put me in a box you know yeah Cos you know cosplay like think outside the box yeah be like you can represent 
whomever or whatever you choose. I mean, even people cosplay as like um, like animal characters too. Oh yeah. You know, like I've seen uh, um, yeah. I've seen yeah. the monsters from um, where the wild things are. Like people come as as animals like that, so that's questioning reality, right? Because I mean, just because we're mammals, we're not those type of mammals, you know. So true, true. All right, so one last question for this segment: thinking about what the technological and economic factors that mu- uh, what what factors must be present to um to actually be <coughs> a cosplayer okay so um yeah so focusing on cosplay and not technological and economic factors of the con in general which maybe you can speak about um so cosplay i think is technologically one you have to have the skills to be able to to build or create your costume but also technologically, because of technology, you know, you can connect with people that can do that for you. So now, I, I mean, making cosplay costumes, that might even be, you know, an artisan job now. But also economic factors, economics as in can, you know, buying all the stuff to make these costumes. But you have to think of economics as in economics of time also, you know. How much time does it take to plan and, and do all these costumes, which I've seen how thorough and and meticulous some of these costumes are and i mean i imagine it takes a lot of time you know for all that detail to to get in there so i mean there's definitely a lot of technological and economic factors that go into it yeah the cool thing is is that if i ain't got those skills to make up my own batman suit i can very easily purchase one oh man yeah i mean i wouldn't be able to do it my drawing ability is like (laughs) stick figures like that's the extent of my drawing ability i mean you could you could cosplay as as a stick figure yeah i mean i could i mean i don't know maybe i could make a costume i'll like Cut some holes in a sheet and be a ghost or something. I don't know. Yeah, so cos- cosplay <laughs> certainly overlaps with Halloween and vice versa. Yeah. So that's a good observation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But definitely that there there has to be some sort of level of of um, access to resources in terms of time yeah. or energy or money in order to be able to definitely. participate at, at a cos- as a cosplayer, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. at least in some level. Also, like the time to take off of work to attend these conventions, because usually they're two, three, four days. Oh yeah, you know. So I mean, you're taking off time that way as well. Um, the other thing that I think is important to note is that each <coughs> um, is that each cosplayer doesn't necessarily need to imitate a, a character, right? I no. mean, would it still be considered cosplay if you are imitating your own character that you create? Yeah, I mean, I think so. But, the, you know, the only thing with that is, you know, we talked about cosplay as a community, and part of that is, you know, and sharing the space with like-minded individuals. Part of that is forming these relationships with those people, and part of forming those relationships is people recognizing you for your costume. Yeah. Right? Because, and so, yeah. and then you, like, because if somebody recognizes you, then you automatically have that connection of, oh, I watched this show, or, oh, I read that book. That's an awesome costume. So I think you could dress up as someone you created, but m- I think it may be more difficult to form those relationships. Okay, that's a good observation. Um, all right, so we're going we're gonna to take a short break. We're going to play some music here in a bit. Hey, Bulls, you're back listening to Anthro Alert uh, on Bulls Radio, WUSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus and streaming worldwide at bullsradio.org. We're going to hop right back into the conversation. We're running a little low on time this week because we've been having such a good conversation. So we're going to um, briefly discuss the third section of the show that we had uh, for you guys this week, and then we're going to wrap it up um, 
Yeah. So uh, let's let's hop back into it. All right. So today we've been t- today we've been talking about geek culture, mm-hmm. uh, the Comic Con convention or the com- or the con, um, you know, any variety of such, uh, and cosplay as a as a medium of artistic expression and and cultural identity and uh, challenging reality and or questioning reality and representation. Yep. All um, those philosophical things. Oh yeah, man. Ideas. This, this is th- this is the anthro alert, but we could easily call this the the uh, philosophical fun. <laughs> so, so okay. that's, our, that's our spin-off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's yeah. We, we could totally do that. Um, maybe next week. So let's ask what what is any of this, like? Why should we be talking about this? Why does this matter? What? How does it transcend in the larger culture? Mm-hmm. Um. Well, one thing, one aspect that comes to my mind is just something that I find fascinating about science fiction and fantasy, specifically books in general, and why I love them so much, is that they often have some sort of metaphor or discussion on society and culture or social issues in general. And actually, there's a subgenre of science fiction, which is called social science fiction. And... Um, and, and this, it explores sort of technology and science and its relationship with humanity and its effects on humanity and those kinds of things. You know, everyone's heard of, like, AI gaining consciousness and, like, what's that going to do and, like, advancements in medicine. Like, you know, what if it extends our life to immortality? Like, those kinds of things. But some of the po- most popular books that discuss this um, are like 1984 by George Orwell, iRobot, Isaac Asimov, uh, Dune, The Left Hand of Darkness, which is popular in, in anthropological courses. You have a, um, a Brave New World, Ender's Game. You know, the list goes on and on. And these are some of the books that I love, um, some of my favorites around here. Yeah, and, and what, makes these, uh, what makes these stories so interesting is that they provide metaphor. They provide a social or a cultural critique mm-hmm. of, of from the author's perspective of society and right and they they provide a good avenue for us to have discussion mm-hmm. about some of the problems that we face that in such a way that we're actually able to have a discussion right you know if you look at possibly the current um political environment here in the united states yeah it tends to be quite polarized and mm-hmm. it's often challenging or it's, o- it's often quite a challenge to discuss to have some sort of conversation with right. somebody or about a civil conversation. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, you can talk, <laughs> but it doesn't have to be civil. Right. But to have some sort of conversation with somebody who about a topic with which you disagree. Yeah. Because it it very easily escalates into a a political zealous um, conversation, and, and yeah. at that point, it's not really a conversation. It's. I mean, all the discussions are just really polemical at this point, right? I mean, they're built to just provoke some kind of controversy or disparage some other form of of opinion but you know in these in these books you may be reading it and be like wow this is if it's like a dystopian or something you may be like wow this is like terrible i wouldn't ever want to live in this world and then you kind of step back and look at the big picture and you're like well man like some of this stuff is already happening in parts of the world you know like what so yeah i mean i think it is it's a way to see certain aspects of of humanity that may or may not have happened in history or are happening presently and, and step back and and either find ways to prevent things from <laughs> turning out that way in the future. You know, I think sci-fi sometimes is like, uh, you know, don't do this because, you know, this could certainly be a result in the future. Um, yeah, and that's I think that's why I love these books so much because, you know, there's so much um, philosophy and, you know, you can gain 
so much from these books if you if you choose to sort of look back and look at the big picture and, and break them down a little bit. Yeah, because you know some of the titles you mentioned um, consider or the the topic of intrigue or the questions being asked are, are relating to surveillance. You yeah, know, who mm-hmm. who can surveil who? Right, um, and then you can get into different things like surveillance. So surveillance being surveillance from above down below or, mm-hmm. or um i hope that made sense grammatically but surveillance you know uh su- surveillance or or observing upwards okay um hmm. yeah that probably that confused me saying it so i <laughs> if, you're, if you're like the one person listening i hope that made sense yeah uh but yeah. I, that's about all the time we have today yeah so that was the one topic that we wanted to bring up because we think that this is a really important aspect of sci-fi and fantasy as far as like questioning reality and, and representation and how forming metaphors for society, you know, either um, in history or, or the present. Um, but that's all the time we have this week. We will close you out with another song and we hope to see you guys next week. Um, and once again, you've been listening to Anthro Alert on Bulls Radio, USF 89.7, HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus, and streaming worldwide at bullsradio.org. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next week. <laughs>